Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to the sweet spot where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, everybody. It's Bob Vetter here. Before we get started, and just in case you have to get off this podcast early, if you'd like to get underway with your own healing and clear away any energetic blockages, you can get on a free call with me. Go to healwithbob.com. Greetings, everybody, and my listening audience. I'm happy today to be with Nina Rao. Nina Rao learned traditional chants or bhajans from her grandfather in a village in South India when she was nine years old. The chants quietly stayed with her until she rediscovered chanting with Krishna Das in New York in 1996. For many years, Nina has been Krishna Das's business manager and accompanies him musically as well. In 2007, she recorded the track called Nina Chalisa on Krishna Das's CD called Flow of Grace. In January 2013, she released her debut album, Antarayami, Knower of All Hearts. In August 2017, her second album, Anubhav, was released. She is currently collaborating with three other women on a recording of the mantras of the 21 Taras. Nina regularly leads kirtan, workshops, and retreats in her hometown of Brooklyn, New York, and beyond. Of course, now all virtual for the time being. You can contact Nina at Nina Rao, R-A-O, chant.com. Nina Rao, welcome to our show. It's so nice to see you and have you with us. You too. Thank you so much, Bob. Nice to be here. Well, you gave us a little piece of your backstory uh, in that bio introduction, but there is a lot more to this story. So we're going to take this first session to find out more about you in your own journey. So if you would, Nina, please take us along for that ride. I'll do my best. We'll have to fit a little over a half a century in a few <laughs> minutes, but we don't need to go into all the gory details. Um, I live in Brooklyn, New York now, and I've been living in New York uh, since 1986. And that's the longest that I've actually stayed in one place in my life. Um, in that way, you know, I'm, I'm hearing about the, the people right now, actually in California who are dodging the fires or have lost their homes. And they talk about their homestead, you know, with all their memories and memorabilia and it's all gone. And I actually never had that. So I've created that on my own living in New York now, but we grew up moving every three years with my father. He worked with Air India. And we lived in many different countries around the world, including India, but also uh, Australia, United States, Canada, and Thailand, and also a little bit of time in Kenya, which is in East Africa. So um, we sort of grew up with our um, having to integrate into a, a number of different cultures but keeping our little nuclear family Indian culture happening at home as best as possible, you know? 
But my father was very keen that my sisters and I get a good education and be able to find a good profession. And he felt it was best for us to live in America for that and love New York. And somehow he convinced us <laughs> over all the years to end up moving to New York, which I did. And, uh, but when I started out here, I was about to start an MBA. I have an economics degree and I wanted to go to business school. But somehow I ended up working right away in the banking business just before things got really difficult on Wall Street uh, back in 1986. And I started working in a Japanese bank on the trading floor because it seemed like a good job at the time. So I did a bunch of that, you know, lived a nice life, uh, very exciting to a certain degree until I realized I wasn't waking up in the morning with the same excitement as the bankers in the bank were. And markets and numbers and bar graphs and all this stuff just didn't mean as much to me. So I quit not knowing what I would do. And ultimately, um, I started working with a person who ran wildlife safaris in Africa. And so that, since I had been to Kenya before and I had a great affinity for wildlife and watching wildlife, I thought this was a good opportunity to enter into, venture into another type of occupation. And so I started working with this company for a while in New York and I ended up traveling a lot in East and Southern Africa, um, mostly all to wildlife areas, some with clients, some without. And at the very same time, I also started practicing yoga here in New York. And when I started practicing yoga in the mid nineties is when I was re-exposed, I'm going to say re-exposed to chanting which is what I mainly do now um, with my hours in the day. I'm usually supporting Krishnadas's entire business enterprise. And for those of you who don't know who he is, um, he is a, a guy from Long Island, actually, Bob, <laughs> and uh, went to India back in the 70s um, with Ramdas and met Neem Karoli Baba, who has now become a very well-known figure. He's not in the body anymore, but people know who he is because people like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg have, have gone to Neem Karoli Baba's temples. So just to backtrack a little bit, um, I ended up also then creating my own wildlife safari company after I worked with this other company. And I took people on wildlife trips in India to see the wild tigers, because that's something I was very interested in. And I started a nonprofit called Saving Wild Tigers, which I still fundraise for and um, do work with. I volunteer my time to support people on the ground in India with their science-based conservation projects. So that's one thing. <laughs> um, but then I started practicing yoga and chanting after I met Krishnadas at a yoga retreat and it reminded me of a time back when I was a kid. If you remember, I told you that we lived outside India a lot, but we did go back to stay at my grandfather's village in South India. So in my bio, you know, it reads that I learned bhajans and kirtan from my grandfather. The truth is 
that I first heard it when I stayed with my grandfather because my parents lived a more modern Indian life. But when we went back there is when I realized we had this beautiful tradition of this devotional practice of chanting, of puja, which is like a ritual worship. And it was a way in which um, the family, of course, came together, the community came together, but it was also a very healing practice for people in, as individuals. And then to have the support of the community, which is something I felt when I went to my grandfather's place, I heard him chanting. And to my surprise, one evening we had a, a satsang or a gathering at his home. And literally like a hundred people came from the village and they all could chant. I had never seen anything like this. Everybody sat down in the room. My grandfather started leading some of the chants and then it kind of went around and the youngsters in the room were leading chanting and so on. <coughs> so I heard that as a child and remembered feeling a very spacious heart opening moment. And it's something I remember very well. I never talked about it with anybody because it seemed sort of par for the course. Everybody was doing this. It was part of our family ritual. And when I heard Krishnadas, now this is many years later, 28 years later or so, at this yoga retreat, I was very suspicious of the whole thing. I, I, I really thought I was going to have to sit through this failed Indian musician. I wasn't interested. I, re I just wanted to go and do like the strong yoga practice and get physically strong, not realizing that what was pulling me to the yoga practice was actually just the tip of the iceberg of, you know, doing an asana practice is a very important part of yoga, which is the physical aspect of it. But the point is to penetrate the layers of our flesh and bones and skin and get to our soul body, our subtle body. And I was feeling that already by doing a little bit of chanting with my yoga teacher. And then when I heard Krishna Das, it took me right back to that moment where I, I felt that same feeling of presence and spaciousness at the same time. And everybody was so intently focused on this practice but also feeling free at the same time it was really beautiful to witness that and um, i quickly realized that this was really what this weekend retreat was going to be all about you know so i hung out with krishnas at lunch and dinner and i talked to him and he told me about his guru neem karoli baba and just this surge of like a longing, actually, you know, a longing that I could identify as longing to find a path arose for me. And so when I say path, what do I mean? I didn't even know what I meant at the time. All I knew was that the chanting was something that I wanted to do as much as possible. So I left that retreat. Now I had been listening to a lot of Indian classical music before I went to Krishnadas's retreat, but at the retreat I discovered he had given away his first tape that he had made called One Track Heart. And 
I think I wore down that tape by playing it over and over and over and over, listening to his chanting, listening to the Hanuman Chalisa, listening to the way he described the chants in his liner notes, which was also something very new to me because what these Westerners had taken away from the Indian practice, they didn't take anything for granted. You know, they really wanted to dive deep into it and find in there like what is and have an understanding of it. So for them, not even knowing the Indian language, but going so deep into these chants and practices, including like learning the Hanuman Chalisa by learning the Sanskrit alphabet just from the phonetics and then writing it out and then learning the 40 verse prayer. I understood that, you know, the depth of my yearning was like theirs. They just wanted to find the source. Where, what's the source? What's the wellspring? Where is this coming from? So I began chanting with Krishna Das. I, I heard that he was chanting at a yoga studio called Jiva Mukti every Monday. And it was free. And I made sure in my schedule that I was home every Monday night. And we actually became friends right then. And I had a lot of questions. And he gave me books about Neem Karoli Baba. And... Um, I read and I just chanted, you know, and I, I have no training in music, which is something I want to say because people assume that I do. Um, I don't. And I really only started chanting, you know, towards my mid thirties. That was when I met Krishna Das. So from there, it was one giant leap that brought me to today, which is now 23 years later or so since I met him. What a great story. <laughs> so, so Nina, I have a, I have some questions for you about what I've heard. The first thing is I'm, I'm interested and I, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear what you have to say about these Westerners coming into India because you know, we, we live in a time now where there's a, a yoga studio on practically every street corner. And in my opinion, what has happened is kind of a diluting of the essence of yoga. And I think that most people who practice Hatha yoga probably don't understand either the cultural context or the, the philosophy that goes behind it and, and how Hatha Yoga is just this one little component of it. So to hear you speak so kindly and so respectfully about people, Westerners who came into India, it kind of intrigues me. And I'm, I'd like to ask you to, to just talk a little bit more about that. Let's think about this, Bob. Do you know how many of them actually got to India traveling over land they had no money in their pocket. They somehow got across the Atlantic and then got a ticket on a bus that drove them from Europe through, you know, the Middle East over the mountains of Nepal into India. That's what it took for them to get there. We are so fortunate now. Now we can like flip on our little smartphone and there's like chanting from live streaming from His Holiness Dalai Lama in Dharamsala, you know. They didn't have that. 
they had a couple of books, maybe from Yogananda Paramahansa, you know, um, um, remind me of the name of the book. It's just the autobiography of a yogi. yogi. Thank you so much. Yeah, it went out of my head for a second. Um, and, you know, maybe a couple of books, maybe about the gospel of Ramakrishna, because Sri Vivekananda came here. And maybe a few other things that you might actually know better than me. So I admire the intensity to which they were seekers and are seekers still. You know, most of these people who went, back, went and got these teachings from India, I would say very few of them came back and say, ah, it wasn't worth it. I'm going to go do something else. You know, they really absorbed it and they've included in their lives in whatever way. I happened to meet Krishnas who um, was a singer originally before he went. And so this became his natural practice. Um, there were other people who went to see Neem Karoli Baba who did other things. You know, they were able to take spirituality into business. They were able to, Larry Brilliant, for example, found the cure to smallpox along with the WHO, you know. It all depends on what their karmas, their specific karmas were that took them there. But I feel so grateful that I was able to come to the West and reconnect with the true, my true spiritual heritage. You know, so much of it has been glossified with MTV and Bollywood films and, um, and, and in the West, the yoga studios, you know, I, again, I, I feel fortunate because when I first started practicing yoga, I practiced with a yoga teacher from Jiva Mukti and the original owners from Jiva Mukti were 100% vested in getting to the root of these sacred teachings from India. And they made us do that. You know, they would say, go and explore. This saint is coming to town, go and see her. These are the teachings that we're reading from. And they had satsangs where they read this, to this day, they still read the Srimad Bhagavatam at home and it's part of the, so they've always been seekers themselves. So I feel fortunate that I had that opportunity to learn from them. I know that it's different now. It's a lot more um, clinically like a physical practice rather than a spiritual one. There are some teachers who can't even chant Om because it's too something. And too it's Indian. unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> it's too Indian. And, you know, okay, fine. So if that's how it's going to be for them, if it's anything like it was for me when I first started my physical Hatha yoga practice is what led me to explore deeper. You know, I was working at a gym and lifting weights and doing cardio machines. That's what I was doing. But something with the, because, you, you know, that kind of Hatha yoga is part of the complete yoga practice that ultimately leads us into our own hearts. So if they, if that's the way they're going to enter, if that's the portal, so be it. And if not, then so be it. Wonderful. Um, I, I'm also thinking about, as you know, part of the theme of this podcast has to do with healing. And I'm wondering if you could tell us anything about the ways in which yoga and chant have healed you definitely when i started the yoga practice 
I didn't know it then and I still don't really know it because I'm not trained as a Hatha Yoga teacher. But I found that as I went through the postures and I was with a group of people who were doing the same practice with me and we were very focused on breath and we were, and the whole discussion that was going on through the yoga practice was about how this was going to take us into our spiritual hearts, that this was the way in. It wasn't a way to change the way we, you know, might stand on our heads or whatever it is that, that we were going to do. So for, it was very clear to me from the beginning that this was definitely something where we could calm our minds. That was something that came from the practice. Doing that kind of breath work, letting the energy flow through the body in that way. It's still like that, right? I'm, I don't know if you take yoga classes, but that is how it is for most people. And if that's all that it is, then that's great. But it certainly has helped me to even explore further into yoga, more from the Ayurveda standpoint. You know, so I've been interested in that, um, which is also a form of yoga, where we're talking about the central part of our being, which is our digestive core and how it affects everything else in our body. So I came upon certain, I had a few problems with my body and I went to see Dr. Lad, uh, Dr. Vasant Lad, who practices in, in New Mexico. And again, a whole new world opened up to me because of the way in which he practices, um, which is very spiritual. There's a lot of prayer, there's a lot of mantra, um, and then a different style of living, eating simply, following through with discipline and exercise and spiritual practice, and being kind to yourself. You know, these are all when sometimes we need to be reminded that this is how we should be living. Because we're so busy out there in the world with, I can say maybe Western ideas. I don't know if that's the fault of the West, but that's just certainly how it's evolved. To be looking outside of ourselves for things that make us happy. Beautiful, Nina. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. We have so much more to speak about. I, I really look forward to our next session together. So Nina Rao, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're a very spiritual person who just needs a little help clearing away what's been holding you back through some relatively quick healing techniques, get on my calendar for a free call. Go to HealWithBob.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.